Welcome to Nairobi Chapel and Bakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. L'amour est de Dieu et connaît Dieu. Celui qui n'aime pas n'a pas connu Dieu, car Dieu est amour. L'amour de Dieu a été manifesté envers nous en ce que Dieu a envoyé son Fils unique dans le monde afin que nous vivions par lui. Et cet amour consiste non point en ce que nous avons aimé Dieu, mais en ce qu'il nous a aimés et a envoyé son Fils comme victime expiatoire pour nos péchés. Verset 11. Bien-aimés, si Dieu nous a aimés, nous devons aimer nous aussi les uns les autres. Verset 12 pour finir. Personne n'a jamais vu Dieu si nous nous aimons les uns les autres, Dieu demeure en nous et son amour est parfait en nous. Amen. Thank you. Let's clap for Vincent Fadali. First John chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. English version. Alléluia. Dieu est amour. Dieu est Mm. God is First John 4, 7 to 12 I'm reading from the NIV Dear friends, let us love one another For love comes from God Everyone who loves has been born of God And knows God Whoever does not love does not know God Because Dieu est Amour This is how God showed his love among us He sent his one and only son Into the world that we might live through him This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, verse 12, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Thank you for our visitors from afar, Jehovah. May they find comfort in your word today, including the rest of us. Open our hearts like never before. May it be good ground for your word. In Jesus' name, we all shout, Amen. Shout, Amen. Amen. The world is a beautiful place to live in these days. The technology world has made it so easy for us to live. With one phone call, I can talk to my sister who's so far away. Even see where she is. Life has been made very, very simple. But with all the beauties of our life, lives today, it is important to note that life is not so pretty as well. One of the things that breaks my heart is the fact that not everyone knows the word of God. Believe it or not, there's corners in this world that still haven't received the message of Jesus. You know, when you're in our country, you tend to assume the word of God because it is so readily available. One of the things I still know in my heart is God is very present in our continent. One of the things that Ruby Chapel understands as 
an organization, even in this season, is we have gotten to the point that as Africa, we are now being missionaries into the West, into Europe. They are sending guys from here. Can you believe that? Back in the day, they're the ones who brought us the message. Now we send it to them. There's a lot of stuff going on in this world that is just not right. Here are some of the things, for example, that are still going on that are quite difficult to handle. Almost half of humanity is living on less than 550 shillings a day. Half of humanity, that is almost 4 billion people, lives on less than 550 shillings. Imagine that. Almost a billion of the world's population is still hungry. They go undernourished on a daily basis. A billion. A billion. That is greater than Kenya by far. The world produces enough food to feed all 7 billion people. Did you know that? Because what God created was good. Remember? When he gave us a command in Genesis, he knew that the world will give us enough sustenance for all its people. But those who go hungry have no money to purchase this food. And remember, it's quite a few of us. Every day, every single day, 10,000 people die because of lack to accessible and affordable health care. Every day. So by the end of today, 10,000 will have died. That is the state of our world. Can you imagine that? In 2010, let's go back 10 years ago, almost 11, an estimated 7.6 million children, more than 20 a day, died. Poor nutrition was one of the causes of those deaths. Imagine that. Every year, 100 million people are forced into extreme poverty. Every year. Every year. 2020 was probably even the worst. A hundred million are forced into extreme poverty due to health care costs. Now this is a sad one. The world's richest 1% have more than twice as much wealth as 6.9 billion people. 1%. We can go on and on and on and on, but you, I think you get the drift. Our world is in a deplorable state. And I know you have a thousand other reasons but if I gave you the time, you'd give us probably in two or three hours. We're in a bad place. And I dare say, because of the situation of the world, it is why some of us behave the way we do. The attitudes we have of life. Why we do things the way we do them is because of some of these things that I've talked about. Some of us work very hard simply because you come from a situation of poverty and you swore to yourself, I will never see poverty again. It is why we do the things we do. Some of us love so dearly simply because you probably never saw love. You're like, hey, I do not ever want to see that. Why do you do the things you do? Do you know? Some of us have swore that by the time they are 40, they will be millionaires or billionaires. Why? Because they've seen the state of their home where they grew up. Why do you have the attitudes of life that you have? Do you understand why you do the things that you do? 
how you do them. Is it maybe because of the state of your home that you grew up in? Or the lack of? Maybe you never had a home. I've told you the story, remember, of a young man who approached me after service and he was like, Pastor, your sermon on marriage was amazing. It was not a series, it was just a sermon. But, sorry to blow your, blow your bubble, but I'm never getting married. Never. Never. And he went on to say because he was an orphan. Never knew parents. Never saw an example of marriage. We do the things we do simply because maybe it is where we've come from. We don't want to be poor, to suffer. And we also take it to our children and say they will never suffer like I suffered. They will never be like the state of the world is. They will never enjoy this craziness or be participate in the craziness in the world simply because I'm here. I saw a parent the other day buy their kid an S6. In all my life, I've never had a phone. I asked my parent to buy a kanikataza. Mimi, wangu ndanulia from day one. And it looks weird, but we do the things we do simply because of where we've come from. The Bible commands us to look at our grandchildren all the way to our grandchildren and leave a blessing. That's true. But why do you want to do that? Is it you or is it God? Why do you want to leave an inheritance? Why have you decided that you and your home shall do one, two, three? Do you understand why? I'm talking about the attitudes we've developed strictly out of the despair we've seen, we've experienced. These attitudes develop make us the focus of a better tomorrow for ourselves, our children, and like everything else done out of selfishness. I'm sorry to say this, it will end in ruin if that's your goal. If that's our goal, to make sure that just because this has happened, Mimi, I will never be. I will not. In your own strength, I kid you not. You'll never be able to manage it. How have we become or have then just become a nation and a people that work, work, work for a better tomorrow? But the very same things we're avoiding of a poor and unhealthy society are the very things we become. A poor and a very unhealthy society. We don't even hang out with our children anymore. And yet, we are planning for a future for them. We are working so hard that our relationships are in ruin, even with our brothers and sisters. Yet, we are doing something that is good. How is that possible? We become one of the most unhealthy nations, even in terms of health. We die younger nowadays. People drop down dead as early as 30 simply because they're not watching on their health. How is that possible? That after going through life and the craziness each one of us has gone through, that we've gotten to this place in life and are probably even worse, if not the same, than what we're running away from. How is that possible? How? 
Let us look at the following verses. What the Bible tells us about tomorrow. I will read them. Proverbs 27.1. This one is an obvious one. Don't brag about tomorrow. Since you don't know what the day will bring. You know, bragging about tomorrow has become so obvious nowadays. I even do it. We all do it. Next week, I will see you, my brother. Next month, I will make sure that I must. Tomorrow morning, I will see you at six. Hey, Jehovah Nakaivi and Ashindu. Oh, okay. So you think you're going to see tomorrow? Sour. Oh, Let's see who will win that game. Don't brag, the Bible tells us, since we don't know what the day will bring. By the time I'm 45, I will own my own company and employ one million people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> James 4, 13 to 17. Now listen, you who say, we, who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Verse 14, why do, why you do not even know, why don't you even know that tomorrow may or may not happen? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanish, vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. It is. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then, verse 17, knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. To prevent boasting, we must, because we know him, put him in tomorrow. If it is God's will, I will see you. If it is God's will, I will. If it is God's will, we will. If it is God's will, I will see my children off to university. What we are calling a very good attitude in wanting a better life for ourselves, our children, the Bible calls boasting. Bragging. This the Bible is simply called evil. If you are boasting about tomorrow from your own flesh, from your own strength, from your own plans, it's evil. In hotly pursuing not to see the despair of our forefathers and the times, we have simply become more evil. More evil. Evil has grown. You saw what our children were doing the other day in the brothel. Just over here. You saw the other day our students at Moigal saying, ah, ah, we are done. We cannot have this person over here. There's so many examples. You look at our society today and you're wondering, how can we be so smart as a people? We are the smartest we've ever been as a humanity. And still have these issues with us. How is that possible? That child trafficking still exists. Our kids can disappear from us anytime. Anywhere. By anyone. How is that possible? Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 to 34. Let me read for us. Eh? This is Jesus talking about the same issue. But he attacks it in a very different, very strange way. Remember, Jesus just began talking to us about his kingdom. 
He's talking to us, he's giving us the rules of what he's all about. He comes in and gives the Beatitudes. Immediately after that, he continues on giving the rules of life and how. And so he gives us Matthew 6 25 to 34 and goes in straight for the jugular. He doesn't miss his words. Therefore, I tell you, he begins do not worry about your life, what you will eat, drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? Jesus asks. Think about that for a second. Life is more than food. Life is more than food. The body more than clothes. Jesus is telling us the body is more in terms of importance than clothes. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, Christ says, much more valuable than they? Verse 27. Hey, Can any one of us, by worrying, add a single hour to our lives? The answer is, so why do we worry about clothes? Continues to say, See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. We are the ones laboring for the flowers. See, we are the ones who are cast to when the layer your cars. Flower here and angoja to But hear what Christ tells us. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon, the richest man in scripture, King Solomon, the wisest in the scriptures, next to Christ in all his splendor, was not dressed like one of these flowers. And, 9-11, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you and I? Think about that for a second. He's telling us that the flowers that he clothes better than us should not bother us because he will clothe us better than what he's already doing. My goodness. Then he rebukes us. You of little faith. Verse 31. So do not worry saying what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans this is what the Bible says run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Seek ye first, this one we know, his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The day I realized the extent of this verse was last year. Every day was so long, I wondered will we ever get to 2021? Jesus, the brother of James, to Musama James, to Kasama Jesus, these are brothers. Remember in scripture? He's now telling us we do not have to worry. We do not only have to worry. We don't have to worry. But we not only have an attitude of bragging or boasting, but we have an attitude of worry. Sorry. 
We have an attitude of worry in this world of ours today. With all that mind, with all that craziness, with all the technology and the advancement of life, our major attitude today is worry. We lack faith. Jesus is telling us that in our worrying about the future, we lack faith. And as a result, run after the things of life just like the pagans. We know what pagans are, isn't it? Guys who have no clue about who God is. We know him. I know him. And yet, that's all. Hey, grace, where we? Anyway, Wambo will talk. Since this, this is evil, since it resembles the pagans, the evil will show up like bragging, like boasting about tomorrow, as if we are the gods of tomorrow. Remember Exodus, Tuliambiwa, do not put anything in front of me as a god. We are doing it. Instead, we are to seek first the kingdom of God. One of the most difficult things we are ever going to do in this life is to seek his kingdom above everything else. To trust him. Hey, hey. I'm still learning. Trusting God is your, one of the most important purposes you have in life. Because like I've said, we've all grown up different. We've all probably lost parents or have parents. We've been from homes that knew or didn't know God. We've had issues upon issues in our lives. And then God shows up and says, now trust me. Hey, what do you mean? I've never trusted anyone in my life. How am I to trust you? I need to seek your kingdom above everything else. All my life I've known the hustle of life. The rat race, as it were. God is asking us to seek him. His kingdom. His righteousness. And then he promises. And all these things. I will add to you. Jeremiah 29.11. We know that one. Eh? I know the plans I have for you. Declares the Lord. To prosper you. Not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. Because one of the first things you worry about when God tells you, now trust me, is do you have a plan for me? Should I trust that tomorrow, that is what he's saying. Trust me. Because my plans for you are to give you a hope and a future. Romans 15.4, for everything that was written in the past, the Old Testament, was written to teach us, you and I, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. There is the word again. Our desire for a better tomorrow must direct us not to despair, not to brag, not to seek our own kingdoms, but to hope. That's the attitude. To hope. To hope in the Lord. To hope. Are you hopeful in God's house today that he has you in the palms of his hand? 
Do you know that? Do you understand? Hope is commonly used to mean a wish in layman terms. Its strength is the strength of the person's desire. I hope to see you tomorrow. I hope that when I get home, Hallelujah. Mm. That's my desire. I hope. But in the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength in his fullness. Hallelujah. Mm. Do you hope in the Lord? Romans 15, 13. I love this verse. Hey, may the God of all hope, we've had it sometimes in um, benediction, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. There's a condition. So that you and I may overflow with what? Hope by the power of the Spirit of God. The power of the Spirit of God. Last week, guys, remember we learned about Jehovah Mekadesh, the sanctifier, the ones who set us apart for his will. Today, I want to remind you of the God of all hope. All hope. That's his name. Romans 15, 13. The God of hope. And he is a hopeful God. Think about it. How long did he take, like we said last week, to get you to see him? John 3.16 is a verse of hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever may be hopeful in him, believes in him, not perish, but have everlasting life. God's hope for you is that you know him, that you understand him, that you trust him. And like we said last week, he is patient with us. Are you hopeful in the Lord? Do you have hope? Our hope is that this week, when we go to Dala, hallelujah, mm, that things will go well. That the Lord will make the way straight for us. But do we believe it will happen in our own strength or through the Lord? That's the question. Do you hope in the Lord? The Lord fills us with new attitudes as concerns tomorrow because our trust can never be in ourselves but in him. The more we trust him about tomorrow, the more he fills us with joy, peace, contentment, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and not forgetting love. Love comes from God. So now, our attitudes must be full of hope in him. Our love hopes in all things in the Lord, just like he hopes in you. The question has always been, why did Christ choose Judas? Why? I dare say that in as much as he was in the will 
to betray him. I'm sure the Lord was hoping that he would change his mind. The Lord hopes for you to change your ways to please him. He is a hopeful God. He hoped the Israelites would do the right thing. He hopes when the time comes that you choose correct. He hopes when the enemy shows up in your life that you will believe in him, that you will trust. So in our season of love, I will ask the same question again. Is your love hopeful? Because Christ's love over you and I is very hopeful. Very hopeful. Whatever wrong that you have in your life, he hopes that you will choose correct. Because the choice is still yours. He will not choose for you. Let me read the final portion of scripture. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 9. I will read it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you and I, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What Christ has done for us has placed us into a living hope. The book of Titus calls it the blessed hope of tomorrow. Because we are in him, we know that tomorrow is secure. We know that he's coming soon. But even though we cry today, there is a place we are not going to cry in the future. Our eternity is full of joy and peace. So, translation, hold on. But as you hold on, love others with the same hope. Show them the love of Christ. Are you living with that same hope? Because if you're living in the hope of the Lord, then you're patient. Then you will go through life, whatever it brings your way, with the joy of the Lord. Is your love hopeful? Because for us to shine our light, like we said in the first week, to this generation, to these people, to the world, to the darkness of this world, we must love hopingly. Is your love hopeful? Do you hope, even in the worst of situations, that your children will turn out okay? Ama unangaliyo nasema, ah, kianani, when these kids get to 15, it will be thick up in here. Karibu nifikiria me agree. 
Are you hopeful? Do you love in a hopeful way even to those that have not yet received Jesus? Are your prayers full of hope? That Jehovah, Mazaya, I know my brother is in a difficult situation. He does not know you. But I have the hope that you've placed in my soul that it will come to your realization. Ama is your hope non-existent. Because if it's non-existent, I bet you your attitudes appear in life are a mess. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, Love always protects. Remember the great chapter of love? Hallelujah. Lorraine. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And always perseveres. God's love always hopes. That's yours.